Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 148. Today's big Bible question, what must be the defining characteristic of Christians? So, hello, friends. Happy Memorial Day to you today. It's a holiday for many, so may it be a great day of thankfulness, remembrance, and safety. Be wise out there. Today's Bible passages include Numbers 34, Psalm 78, at least the second half of Psalm 78, Isaiah 26, and 1 John 4, which is our focus passage. Now, I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, the first Bible verse I ever m- memorized was John 3.16, but I think the first multiverse passage I ever memorized was actually 1 John 4, 7, and 8. And the reason for that is salty, P-S-A-L-T-Y. Now, you might not recognize that name, but salty is a blue book that talks and kind of looks fairly weird. You can find some of his performances on YouTube, but do recall that they happened in the early 80s and they were very strange. When I was in grade school, my school, a private Christian school called Briarwood in Birmingham, Alabama, did a performance of Kids Praise by Salty. In that musical, Salty is a crying musical book that sort of influences or maybe even manipulates a group of kids that finds him into singing his songs. So yeah, it's a pretty weird little musical, but I actually have fond memories of it. I tried but failed to be Salty in the play and ended up being some sort of bird-looking creature that wore thermal underwear so that my legs would look sort of like chicken legs. And yes, it was absolutely as embarrassing as it sounds, but fortunately I don't think I was scarred long-term from that. But there was a long-term benefit of us doing Salty, and that is that I learned a lot of youthful but solid worship songs. Amen, praise the Lord, Jesus, name above all names, behold what manner of love. Seek ye first, Father, I adore you, and there are actually several more. Now, when my kids were young, I taught them many of those songs and sang them with them. And if I'm being honest, I still sing them in my heart from time to time and maybe in my car when I'm by myself. One of the best of those songs, though, was called 1 John 4, 7 and 8, or Beloved. And it's exactly what you think it is. Those verses set to kids' music. I've remembered that passage for decades since then, and I suspect I'll still remember it when I'm old and have Alzheimer's. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And yes, that is 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Our Bible question of the day is all about what the defining characteristic of Christians must be. Well, let's read 1 John 4, and I think you've already discovered it, but maybe it'll jump out at you again, because John is going to hammer the ball with us. He's going to repeat himself a lot so that we get it. 1 John 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them 
because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Amen. So, obviously, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out this ministry, The answer, of course, is love. Love must be the prime and defining characteristic of followers of Jesus. A person without love is a person without God, so says 1 John 4, 8. God is love, so says the same verse. Love comes from God, says the previous verse. Love is central and crucial and utterly essential to the Christian walk. Consider this challenge and exhortation from our friend Charles Spurgeon. The spirit of love, kindness, self-sacrifice, Holy love and charity, this is of God. This is the distinguishing mark of the Christian dispensation, the distinguishing mark of the Christian, that he abounds in love, not in malice, anger, revenge, bitterness. I have known men professing to be Christians who were at enmity with their brothers. I have heard of a father and a son who have not spoken to one another for months. Did I hear of a mother and a daughter who would not speak to each other either, and of sisters who had fallen out? This will not do. You must either give up your Christian profession or give up your hatred. The very attempt to combine enmity and Christianity is a sin against God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, that's a powerful challenge. And some of you are protesting. Well, the person I'm mad at deserves it. Probably so. Maybe they do deserve it. The fact of the matter is, if we all got what we deserved, we would be in trouble. Thanks be to God for his grace upon grace upon grace that delivers us from what we deserve. So how do people know us? How do people know you? Are we known as people of love? Consider your attitude, your bearing, the appearance of your face, the posts on your social media, your words with your spouse, 
your tweets, your texts, your actions, your snaps, your phone calls, do these demonstrate that we are people of love? I've seen many Christians do some awful things lately in their social media posts, angry and vehement attacks, slanderous accusations and jabs, words that drip with anger and venom and outrage. Should these sorts of things come from the pen or the keyboard of Christians? I don't think so. I don't think the Bible allows us to behave that way. Perhaps you think that Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives or Trump supporters or Trump bashers or Trump himself or Joe Biden or Obama or pro-vaccinators or anti-vaxxers or Karens or the 1% or the other 99% or Alabama fans or Auburn fans or Raiders fans or 49ers fans or quarantine supporters or quarantine protesters. Maybe you think that one or all of those groups, I guess you couldn't think all of those groups deserve your ire, but maybe a few of them. You think these people are so utterly wrong. We have to fight fire with fire. They deserve everything I'm going to give them and I'm going to bring justice. They deserve my hatred. They deserve my strong words. And eh, who knows, perhaps they've somehow earned it. But just because a certain group is wrong even completely wrong, prideful, evil, arrogant, or whatsoever, that does not give you, Christian or me, a license to hate them. Human hate and anger doesn't bring change. It always makes things worse. Our anger and our hatred is always gasoline that causes the fire to burn that much harder, hotter, and be that much harder to extinguish and do that much more damage. Because as James one twenty tells us, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now in a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached once, he quoted that wonderful 17th century Scottish pastor Samuel Rutherford, who had himself exhorted a friend in a letter to, quote, fasten their grips upon Jesus and not let go. Now in that sermon, Spurgeon also urges believers to do the same thing, to fasten their grips on Jesus and and to fasten their grips upon each other in love. Now, interestingly, in that message, Spurgeon laments his lack of ability to shake a missionary's hand, almost certainly because he was having a painful bout of gout at the time, because Spurgeon had terrible troubles with gout. And so he suggests a metaphorical handshake, exactly like the kind of handshaking and hugs that you and I need to do right now in the midst of the year of coronavirus. So let's close with a snippet from Spurgeon's message. And he says, I pray you to fashion your grips in a practical manner upon one another. Brothers, let us love one another for love is of God. We are heartily joined together in one spirit. Let us remain so. Let our love increase exceedingly as we are pressed together by surrounding opposition. Let all those who are one in the common faith get together and cheer each other. I will not venture upon shaking hands at this moment with Mr. Faithful, who is a real person, the brother who labors in Marseille, because example is very contagious, and he has told us that the sailors give him such awfully strong grips when they shake his hand. A very little while ago, I was in such pain I could not even hold a pen, and I dare not run the risk of a sailor's grip with this most excellent friend. But spiritually, if not physically, 
let us all give each other one of those sailor grips with our hearts, if not with our hands. Brothers, you are very, very dear to me, and you return that love. Be of like mind among yourselves. Are you at elbows with one another? Are there even two women among us who cannot agree? Remember how our apostle said, I beseech Yodia and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. They were only two private members, but Paul could not let them fall out with each other. Put an end to discord at once. I pray you to fasten your grips. Don't be cold and distant before your towards your fellow Christians, but let love reign supreme everywhere. And then he goes on to quote, uh, I guess it's a song. Tis a shameful sight when children of one family fall out and chide and fight. Spurgeon continues, get to know each other better. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear and forbear, feeling that you are not yourselves perfect. Let us live in hearty love, first to our adorable Lord, and then with all our fellow servants, and so we shall become strong in the Lord, and the Lord will command his blessing to fall like the dew of Hermon, where he sees brotherly love abounding. I speak not like this because you fail in this respect, but I speak the more freely because I trust you to excel in it. Oh, that all churches were houses of love. What do we see in many places? not contending earnestly for the faith, but much arguing and contending as to who shall be the greatest. I heard the other day of a church which has come to nothing, and one told me that the reason was everybody wanted to be boss. You know what that word means. I think it's of an American origin and includes a good deal. Diotrephes is a dreadful mission mischief maker. Let us not imitate him, but let us be ready to wash the saints' feet. And as a side note, if you don't remember who Diotrephes is, he is mentioned in, I believe, the third or second letter of John. And John says he always wanted to be first. So, as Spurgeon says, let's not imitate that old Diotrephes trying to always be first and foremost among people. Spurgeon continues, I pray you to fasten your grips on all of God's people, God's chosen in every place, on all God's church throughout the whole world. Let us pray for all of the Lord's people. Let us grip our brethren in America who have sent so many gracious representatives among us. Let us do the same with the churches on the continent for whom our brother faithful has spoken. God bless France and save her. Our evangelist, Mr. Harmer, has just touched the coast of Africa, and his presence makes us think of the combo and the cape. With both hands and with all our hearts, we salute all the people of God throughout the world, rejoicing that we are one body in Christ Jesus. In this holy love, I pray you to fasten your grips. Amen. And brothers and sisters, if you are at odds with another believer, be they a blood relative or not, put that aside, forgive them quickly, and fasten your grips of love upon them, that the name of Christ be not besmirched, and that you and I show that we are followers of the God who is love, who calls us to love one another without any, any, any exception to that rule. Let's keep reading. Numbers chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites and say to them, When you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance is to have these boundaries. Your southern side will include some of the desert of Zin along the border of Edom. Your southern boundary will start in the east from the southern end end of the Dead Sea, 
cross south of Scorpion Pass, continue on to Zin, and go south of Kadesh Barnea. Then, then it will go to Hatsar Adar and over to Asman, where it will turn, join the Wadi of Egypt, and end at the Mediterranean Sea. Your western boundary will be the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This will be your boundary on the west. For your northern boundary, run a line from the Mediterranean Sea to Mount Hor and from Mount Hor to Libo Hamath. Then the boundary will go to Zadad, continue to Ziphron, and end at Hatsar Enan. This will be your boundary on the north. For your eastern boundary, run a line from Hatsar Enan to Shephem. The boundary will go down from Shephem to Ribla on the east side of Ain and continue along the slopes east of the Sea of Galilee. Then the boundary will go down along the Jordan and end at the Dead Sea. This will be your land with its boundaries on every side. Moses commanded the Israelites, Assign this land by lot as an inheritance. The Lord has ordered that it be given to the nine and a half tribes, because the families of the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance. These two and a half tribes have received their inheritance east of the Jordan, across from Jericho, toward the sunrise. The Lord said to Moses, These are the names of the men who are to assign the land for you as an inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun, and appoint one leader from each tribe to help assign the land. These are their names, Caleb son of Jephunneh from the tribe of Judah, Shemuel son of Ahmehud from the tribe of Simeon. Eladad, son of Kislon, from the tribe of Benjamin. Buki, son of Jogli, the leader from the tribe of Dan. Haniel, son of Ephod, the leader from the tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Kimuel, son of Shiftan, the leader from the tribe of Ephraim, son of Joseph. Elizaphan, son of Parnak, the leader from the tribe of Zebulon. Paltiel, son of Atzan, the leader from the tribe of Issachar. Ahihud, son of Shalomi the leader from the tribe of Asher, Pedahel, son of Amihud, the leader from the tribe of Naphtali. These are the men the Lord commanded to assign the inheritance to the Israelites in the land of Canaan. Psalm 78, 38-72 Yet God was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash his all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh. A wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt's, Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood, and they could not drink from their streams. He sent Among them swarms of flies which fed on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore fig trees with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers, He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them to safety 
and they were not afraid, but the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy territory, to the mountain his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned away like their ancestors. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent where he resided among mankind. He gave up his strength to captivity and his splendor to the hand of a foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his heritage. Fire consumed his chosen young men and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword and the widows could not lament. The Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people Jacob, over Israel his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. Isaiah chapter 26. On that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. Open the gates so a righteous nation can come in, one that remains faithful. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled those who live in lofty places, an inaccessible city. He brings it down, he brings it down to the ground. He throws it to the dust. Feet trample it, the feet of the humble, the steps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You clear a straight path for the righteous. Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire is for your name and renown. I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. For when your judgments are in the land, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. But if the wicked man is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. In a righteous land, he acts unjustly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted up to take action, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let fire consume your adversaries. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our work for us. Lord, our God, lords other than you have owned us, but we remember your name alone. The dead do not live. Departed spirits do not rise up. Indeed, you have punished and destroyed them. You've wiped out all memory of them. You've added to the nation, Lord. You've added to the nation. You are honored. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, they went to you in their distress. They poured out whispered prayers because your discipline fell on them. As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pains, so we were before you, Lord. We became pregnant. We writhed in pain. We gave birth to wind. We have won no victories on earth, and the earth's inhabitants have not fallen. Your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Awaken, seeing you who dwell in the dust, for you will be covered with the morning dew. 
and the earth will bring out the departed spirits. Go, my people, enter your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath has passed. For look, the Lord is coming from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will reveal the blood shed on it and will no longer conceal her slain. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. May it be edifying and encouraging to you, dear friends. May the Lord give you today a wonderful Memorial Day. We will see you tomorrow. Lord willing, good day to you and Godspeed.